Amen. Father, we come. We just dwell for a moment. Just abide in your love. An unconditional love that we struggle to understand. A love that, Father, looks beyond our past, beyond our mistakes, beyond our difficulties. Father, we thank you. Father, let us remember that love. Let us walk in that love. When the world lies to us, when the enemy attacks, when things seem to pile up on us, let us remember the precious love of Christ. Father, be with us now as we study your word. Let it come alive in our hearts. Speak to our spirits. Challenge us and change us in your name. Amen. You can be seated. I consider myself to be still young. I'm 47 years old, and I I like to think that 47 is middle age. I like to think that I've got another 47 left in me. You know, the the saying now is 50 is the new 30 and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things I'm finding out is the older I get, my memory seems to play tricks on me. I don't know if any of you could amen that, but uh, I've never had a problem with my memory. Uh, I've always had a photographic memory. I always been able to recall and remember everything that I see or that I read, and I still, in the short term, uh, don't have any problem. It just seems I, I've forgotten where I placed the photographs. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it's like I remember things. I just can't remember where I did with my memory of that stuff. Uh, it, it's so strange. You know, the memory is so weird. I can remember every detail from a vacation that I took 30 years ago. I can remember what exit we stopped at. I can remember the hotel room numbers. I can remember what I ate and where I ate. I I can remember words to songs, uh, TV shows. I can quote TV shows uh, in whole, movies. I can quote some movies from start to finish to drive my wife crazy. Uh, I can remember uh, my home phone number from every house that I lived in growing up But yet this week, I was shopping, and a guy asked me my cell phone number, and uh, I looked at him like a deer caught in headlights. Has that happened to anybody? I I mean, I'm serious. I had to look it up. I I felt so stupid. He said, your cell phone number, and I started giving him a number, and I thought, that's not it. And and so I I had to get my cell phone out and had to start looking at it. I I mean, I can remember. It's crazy. I can remember a place in Mississippi that I stopped on a road trip to go to the bathroom in 1974, but I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, if somebody asked. Our memories are crazy. But the Bible tells us the good thing about God is he doesn't have a memory problem. He remembers everything. Matter of fact, he doesn't just remember it. He, he lives in every waking moment. He has a, a memory of everything except the things that he chooses to forget. Now, that's a, I, I, just think about that for a minute. That, that's pretty deep when you think about it. That The only thing God doesn't remember are those things that he intentionally chooses to forget. And those are the sins of his Christ followers, the sins of his children. He forgets those, the Bible said, never to be remembered again. Matter of fact, we remember those much more than God does. 
You know, the Bible uses the term that God remembers. Uh, and I don't know that remembering is a good term to use for God because God doesn't sit in time the way we do. I've explained before that God is spatial in that he sees all time at one place. He sees uh, yesterday and he sees creation at the same time that he sees the end. Uh, he sees the, the beginning and the end at one time. That's how we can say that Jesus, when he died on the cross, died for all of our sins and even our sins that are to come because God, when he sees us sitting here in church, just as real to him operating outside of time is what we're going to do tomorrow. He sees that and he sees the next week and the next year. That's why it's so important for us to trust him. That's why Proverbs says, you know, depend on God. Don't lean on your understanding. Trust what he says. Why? Because he sees it all. But it does say in the Bible that God remembers certain things. He remembers certain people. He remembers certain events. And and remember is not really a great word because we struggle with understanding that because our memories are so difficult. A better way to understand it is he marks special people and special moments and special events as being special. Uh, all of us do that. Even even those of us that have memory problems, you can remember uh, the birth of your child probably. You can remember holding that child for the first time. You can remember uh, your wedding maybe for the fir- first uh, instance when you recall. You can remember the smells and the sights. Why? Because we mark those things as being something special. God does the same thing. He marks certain events and holds those events to memory. Now, my first question for you in light of that is what does it take to make God's special memories? What does it take on yours and my behalf to be remembered by God? Because see, in our passage this morning, as we come to the end of Nehemiah, Nehemiah four separate times asked God, God, remember me. God, remember me. God, remember this activity. So Nehemiah is basically saying, God, what I want you to do is to mark what I've done for you as something special and why I've done it. Now, if you have a Bible, I want you just to look at those because I think they're kind of neat. Nehemiah chapter 13, and uh, he says it, like I said, every time that he says it, it's after he's corrected or confronted the sins of the other people, the sins of the city of Jerusalem. He's come back, remember, after being gone finds the people after 12 years gone back into the same rebellion that got them in trouble in the first place. Uh, and, and he corrects them. He confronts them. And then each time he says this, look at verse 14. It says, remember me for this, O God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. And then he corrects them again. Comes back to it there at the end of verse 22. Remember me for this, O Lord. Show mercy to me according to your great love. And then he corrects again, mixed marriages. Then he comes back in 29 and says this, Remember them, O my God, because they defile the priestly office and covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. But remember me. And then he ends the whole passage, ends the whole book. All of the stories that we've studied these last 20 sermons, these last 20 weeks, he wraps it all up with this. Remember me with favor, oh my God. 
You see, what Nehemiah is saying is, is he's not interested in the applause of men. He's not interested in, in, in having statues built to him. He's not interested in having a plaque put on the wall that says, built by Nehemiah. He's not interested in even being popular. Matter of fact, he's probably realizing after coming back how quickly he's been forgotten. Here he dedicated 10 years of his life to these people, 10 years of his, his spiritual life, his emotional life, pouring it into this people. He comes back, and, and they've already turned their back on him. He's probably realizing that they're not even going to remember him with favor. But that doesn't matter to Nehemiah. Because you see, in this idea of saying, remember me, what he's showing is his true motivation for doing what he did. You see, Nehemiah wasn't motivated to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls and, and, and foster a revival that took place so that people could approve. He did it all simply because he was in love with God. He did it all simply as an act of devotion to God. And in doing that, he proved something that God could remember. I want you to think about this. Nehemiah left the comfort of the greatest city in the world to travel difficulty, travel these horrible roads to get to Jerusalem, a city that had been destroyed, a city that lied in ruin, He fought people outside and inside to be obedient to God. He had opposition all the time. He spent his own money to help raise this thing. He poured himself into all of these people. He did all of that simply because God asked him to. And he wanted to be obedient to God. You see, that is something God will remember. A pure and simple devotion only motivated by God getting glory. It's what I've defined here in this message as a legacy of righteousness. A legacy of righteousness. Leaving behind something that glorifies God. You see, he didn't have anything of his own. The Bible says in Isaiah 64 that our righteousness, that everything that we do on our behalf is like filthy rags. Matthew tells us there is no righteousness in ourselves. There is none righteous, no, not one. But you see, what Nehemiah realized is that for him to serve God depended on God's righteousness. See, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have now been given the righteousness of Christ. What does that mean? It means you can now please God. See, before you became a Christian, you didn't have the ability to please God. Uh, You didn't have the ability to worship in spirit and truth. But because of Jesus Christ, you've been given his righteousness, and that righteousness now allows you not only to be motivated by God, but to please God. And you see, what Nehemiah did was he was so motivated by this desire to please God, so motivated by this desire to do what God said, it led him to a lifestyle of righteousness. And what he is leaving behind, what he's asking God for, is a lifestyle of righteousness. Jesus said in Matthew 5, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. He tells us, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, you need to remember that as believers, all of us are going to stand in judgment someday. You see, this is where people's theology gets mixed up. We, we like to think, well, you know, I, I'm a Christian now, so it's, I'm good to go. And, you know, I've got my fire insurance, and I can do whatever I want and how I want it. And everything's, that's, you, you're missing it. Because, see, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that as believers in Christ, all of us will give an account for not just what we did, but why we did it. 
See, Paul paints a picture of this judgment where all of our actions, everything that we've done, will go through the fire to be judged before God to become our rewards in heaven. Now, you want to talk about rewards in heaven, that's a whole other message, and I'll deal with that on Wednesday nights when we go through the book of Revelation starting in a couple of weeks. Uh, But there are rewards in heaven, and that's not to be our motivation. That's the bonus. But what God says and, and what Paul reiterates is that everything that we do will be judged. Even the things that we do spiritually, even the things that we do with the best of intentions, they'll all be judged. And it says everything that we do out of selfish motivation, everything we do for our own glory, everything that we do uh, to gain the approval and the applause of men, it says it will be like hay, wood, and straw. It will be burned into a pile of ash. But everything that we do in this earth out of purity and devotion to God for his glory, the Bible says, will be like gold and silver and precious stones. So I want, to, I want you to get that in your mind. Paint that picture that, that here, here we are. Because you see, I think a lot of us think that we're going to have this pile of, uh, of gold and silver and precious stones because we've done so many things. And it's not a matter of what we've done. It's why we've done them. Let me give you an example. Let's say... You're in church this morning, and God puts on your heart to give somebody that you notice coming in some money. God just, as loud as I'm speaking to you now, you know he told you to give them something. Let's say he told you to give them $100. $100 hurts. That's, you know, if I said $5, everybody go, okay, $5, I got that. Let's, let's say God told you to give you $100. That's enough for you to wrestle in your mind. Well, is God really telling me to do that, right? When God tells us to do something, that's the first way we go. Maybe that's not God. Maybe that's just me. Maybe if God tells you to give it, but you decide to be obedient, so you say, I'm going to give that person $100, I'm going to slip it to them on the way out, and no one's going to know, and I'll do it anonymously. And so they're walking out, and you have, happen to have a $100 bill, your, your secret stash there hidden from your wife or your husband that's in the back, and you pull that $100 out, and you slip it in their hand and say, God bless you, God told me to give that to you. And you walk away. That's gold. That's silver. That's precious stones. And then you're walking out the door and you go out to the car and and you're filled with this sense of obedience and the sense of what God called you to do and you're so happy because you obeyed God and and you saw in their face that they needed that and that God was doing something. And you're standing out by the car and a group of people come up and say, hey, why don't you come to lunch with us? You turn around and say, man, I'd love to go to lunch, but I just gave my last $100 bill to a guy at church because God told me to give it to him. And all that gold and comes over here to the ash pile because see you got your reward your reward was right there instead of doing it now you may have had the best of intentions but what happened is that approval of man started taking over and it just moved it over and instead of righteousness it became your righteousness and your glory and your kingdom now now if that guy you didn't say anything and you walked away and that guy came to church next sunday and said i want to give a testimony i was here last sunday and a guy came and gave me a hundred dollar bill and it was my last i didn't have any food and i needed that hundred that doesn't move to ask because you didn't have any control over that That's just somebody glorifying God in your obedience. But what happens is so many times we overestimate our righteousness and underestimate our sinfulness. See, we don't understand that what we leave behind is not just important in what we do, but why we do it. You see, Nehemiah's goal was to leave a legacy of righteousness, a legacy of of something that glorified God in all that he did. He wasn't interested uh, in in just uh, the applause. He was interested 
in being glorified in everything that he did. That, that's what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy, the famous passage where Paul says, I, I've finished the race. I've I, been poured out like a drink offering. I, I, you know, I fought the good fight. What Paul is saying is I, I've left behind a legacy of righteousness. So here's the second question for you. The first question is, what is it that you have to do to be remembered by God? Because Nehemiah is seeking to be remembered. The second question is, what will you leave behind? What is your legacy? Not what will happen when you, all your works, what are you going to leave behind? And, and you see, I'm not just saying leave behind in the sense that when you die, what are you going to leave behind at your school? See, some of your high school students or middle school students or elementary what legacy will you leave behind? Oh, they were funny or they were cool or, or they were the best athlete or the best looking and all the superlatives. Or will you leave behind a legacy of righteousness? Because you can. What are you going to leave behind in college? What will be your memories, the pe- things that people remember about you, the things that people know about your character? What were you going to leave behind at your workplace? What legacy will you leave your kids, your grandkids? What legacy will you leave this life? You see, what Nehemiah seemed to think is that the legacy that God remembers is a legacy built on righteousness. A legacy that pursues God's obedience. You know, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 8, God remembered Noah. There's that word, because Noah was obedient. It says in Exodus chapter 2, God remembered Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because of the covenant they made with God. You see, God remembers those that keep their promises. God remembers those that are obedient. It says in 1 Samuel 1.19, God remembered Hannah. What did Hannah do? Remember, she prayed for a child, willing to say, God, if you give me this child, I'll give that child back to you. And she was given a child. She gave that child out of pure, unselfish motivation. She was obedient to God. And it says, God remembered her. You see, Nehemiah wanted to be marked. He wanted to be remembered. So how can we leave a legacy of remembrance? How can you and I leave behind something at our school or our college or our workplace or to our children? Well, the last 20 messages in Nehemiah have given us a great example. Now, uh, as we draw to a close this sermon series, Repair, Rebuild, and Restore, uh, you know, I hope that somewhere in these messages God has spoken to you. I hope you've learned more about Nehemiah. I hope you've learned more about your relationship to God, your relationship to others in the church. Uh, But most importantly, I hope through this series that you've learned that God has a call on your life, that God is calling you to do something. And I hope that you've searched inside your heart to be obedient to whatever that call is and to, to to be service, to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus in obedience to what God's calling you to. You know, I, I've looked, and, and somebody told me this week, they said, man, you preached 20 messages on Nehemiah. Listen, I could have preached 50 messages on Nehemiah. This book is so rich. And those of you that have walked with us and dug into it, and if you've missed a week, it's all on our website. You can go back and listen to every message. But I encourage you, it, it's incredible how God has been so relevant through this book. But what I want you to get more than anything is that Nehemiah was obedient. And Nehemiah's lessons are a great lesson for you and I on our legacies. 
Now, what I'm going to end with and how I'm going to wrap this up today is I want to give you four examples from Nehemiah's life that we can learn on leaving a legacy of righteousness. Now, it could have been 25. It could have been 50. I've I've narrowed it down to four, and they're four easy to remember, things that just jump out of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, to help us see why he left a legacy of righteousness. And the first one's pretty simple. First one's pretty easy because it comes out of Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2. It's simple. It's never too late to do the right thing. See, the first thing I want you to understand is it's never too late to do the right thing. Nehemiah and, and the children of Israel were in a mess. They'd been in slavery for 70 years. They'd been free for 70 years, and they still hadn't done what God said. The city was destroyed. The walls destroyed. The temple was destroyed. They'd been disobedient. They'd turned their back on God. They'd intermarried. But it wasn't too late. God still used them. God still called them back. And what I want you to understand this morning is it's never too late to begin to do the right thing. You see, more importantly than what you've done in the past is what you're going to do in the future. Stop letting your past disqualify you from serving God. Now, the devil will come and tell you you're not good enough, and people around you will tell you you're not good enough, but God will never tell you that. You see, God looked down at Nehemiah. God looked down at his city and still saw hope. And I want you to know this morning, God sees hope in you. God sees a future in you. God sees a plan in you. More important than trying to make a vow to God is to try to hear God's promises to you and be obedient to those. You see, you can start today and renew a right relationship to God. One of my favorite stories, and I told you about him before, is the story of John Newton who wrote the great hymn, Amazing Grace. John Newton, early in his life, was a slave trader. He was the captain of a slave ship, enslaving human beings from Africa, taking them to England, taking them to North America, taking them to Europe. And over his life, he began to be offended. He began to see, as a believer in Christ, he began to see how that was offensive to God, and he got out of it. And late in his life, God began to use him to speak out vocally, and he became one of the most uh, vocal opponents of the slave trade. Matter of fact, many people believe uh, him and Wilbur Wilberforce, who was influenced by Newton, were the, the moving trends to have Europe and England outlaw slavery. This slave trader, this guy who participated in it, surely if anybody's disqualified to do anything, to make a difference, it's him. No, because God's never done with us. That's why he could say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, and now I see. And when he wrote that song, he was actually physically blind. Because he was saying, I I used to think I could see, but now I can see, not with my eyes, but with my heart, what God is calling me to. You see, I want you to understand, God's not done with you. It's never too late. And something that can help you, help them is always remember who God is. Do you remember where the turnaround came in the book of Nehemiah in Jerusalem? It's when they began to open this Bible and remember how much he loved them. They begin to remember that it was their sin that caused them to get in the place they were in the first place. You see, one of the things that can help you this morning to renew your relationship, to get back on track, is to get into the Word of God and begin to discover how God is a God of mercy, not giving us what we deserve, but giving us His grace, giving you a second chance, giving you an opportunity. The Bible says not only is God good all the time, but God is graceful in the way He treats His children. 
It's never too late. The second lesson I want you to learn on giving a legacy of righteousness is don't play with sin. We learned that last week. You see, Nehemiah didn't take sin lightly. See, don't play around. Sin, there's no such thing as little sin. Little sin always becomes big sin. Sin is never content just to have a little bit of your life. Sin is never content with just your heart or just your thought life. It wants everything. Nehemiah, when he saw sin, I told you last week, he dealt with it decisively and quickly. The moment it was revealed, he cut it out. Sin will destroy. Sin will will corrupt you. It will corrupt your thinking. It will corrupt your actions. And it will keep you from following what God is calling you to do. I I told you last week, Nehemiah comes back from Persia. He walks in and there's Tobiah living in the house of God. Sin in the heart of God's kingdom. What does he do? He walks in, he opens the door, and he throws all of his stuff out and he kicks him out. He finds the, the people that intermarried. What does it say he did? He grabbed them by the hair. And he took them over and he cast them out of the community. Why? Because he knows that a little sin corrupts all the way around. Don't play around with sin. The Bible says in Romans 12, 9, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. You see, the moment you come and begin to tolerate compromise, the moment you stop becoming vigilant in every area of your life is the moment you begin to lose. How can you keep from playing around with sin? Well, you need to develop a life of praise. Develop a life of prayer. God created us to worship. God created us to have communion, to pray. When you're not praying, you're opening yourself up to sin. When you're not worshiping, you're opening yourself up to sin. Let me ask you, how hard is it to lust after somebody? How hard is it to hate somebody when you're singing a worship song? It's hard. I mean, you can't sing uh, how he loves us and and look around and hate the person sitting beside you and be angry about them. It's real difficult to not forgive somebody when you're praying and singing and asking God to forgive you. You see, when we focus on a heart of prayer and praise, it's easy to turn our back on sin. But the moment we begin to allow sin into our life is the moment we begin to compromise. He says that we can't, it's never too late. He says don't play around with sin. And the third thing that we learned from Nehemiah on a legacy of righteousness is we need to move out of our comfort zone. All of us in here, no matter how long you've been a Christian, we grow comfortable and we grow complacent. See, as much as we hate it, our Christian life is about change. I know we hate to talk about change, and we hate to think about change, and none of us likes change. Even the most contemporary person in here that would say, you embrace change, you don't like change. You probably sit in the same chair in your living room, and you probably go through the same things when you come home every day and the same routines. When you go into the bathroom, you probably uh, brush your teeth the same way every morning and take a shower. You say, oh, that's that's routine. Try to do something different. I I tell you what, when you go home from church today, instead of sitting in the place at the couch that you always sit, that your family knows that's your seat or or your recliner, go and sit somewhere else because everyone in the house will look at you and go, are you sick, right? Because you've grown so comfortable. You see, all of us get comfortable and we do the same thing in our spiritual life. We grow comfortable and the place of comfort is not the place that God wants to use you. God always wants to stretch you. Nehemiah was was serving wine in, in the courts of the kingdom and God said, I want you to go over to that decrepit old city that you've never even been in. 
You don't think that stretched him? He goes from being a part of the king's entourage to, to hammering bricks in a wall. See, we say, I can't way more than God ever intended us to. Matter of fact, the Bible says, I can do all things. Our first reaction when God begins to tell us something is what? I can't. No, maybe you can't, but Christ in you can and will if you allow him to stretch you. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you stepped out on faith to a place where you depended on God and God alone? Let me put that even better. When's the last time, or what did you do this week that if God hadn't shown up, you'd been in trouble? I mean, when's the last time you stood in front of the ocean and held up a staff knowing that Pharaoh was breathing down your throat because you were being obedient to God? See, we don't like to get there because that's uncomfortable. But that's the place of faith. That's the place where God takes somebody ordinary and does extraordinary things. Time for us to stretch. And and you can't let difficulties and distractions slow you down. You see, I promise you, the place that you come when you start being obedient and you start doing what God says, rocks are going to come flying at you. And sometimes they come from people closest to you. Sometimes they come from the people around you. But you can't allow, that's not a time to quit. That's a time to dig in. Nehemiah was facing all kinds of, uh, of distractions, all kinds of discouragement. He, he could have quit time and time again, but he used it to motivate him because, you see, he realized that when bad things happen, God is trying to develop our character to trust in him. It's time for some of you to stretch. It's time for you to get out of your comfort zone. I've told you before, my grandmother used to say, if you're not bumping heads with the devil every day, you must be walking the wrong direction. That's the way it is in our lives. You're going to face opposition. You're going to face discouragement. Keep trusting God. And then the last thing, never too late. Don't play around with sin. Move out of your comfort zone. And the last thing, and probably the most important, learn to stand on the promises of God and let God use you. You see, Nehemiah, when God said, I want you to go back to Jerusalem, opened up what was the Bible at his time and began to see these prophets like Isaiah and these prophets like Daniel who had been in captivity in Babylon that God had spoke through and said, I'm going to rebuild my city. I'm going to rebuild the walls. I'm going to rebuild the temple. And he began to believe that and he began to step out in it. He began to take the promises of God and began to live it. Let me tell you something, church. This book is full of the promises of God, and it's time for you and I to step into them. It's time for you and I to begin to believe them. We sing these songs, but do you really believe it? Do you live like those songs are reality? You just sang the songs to how he loves and shout to the Lord. Are those songs a reality in your life? See, it's time for you and I to begin to develop a legacy of righteousness. Nehemiah could have had songs written about him. He could have had monuments. He could have had him put a plaque on the wall. He could have had all these things, but Nehemiah was interested in one thing, standing before God and hearing these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. See, that's something God remembers. That's a legacy of righteousness. What will you leave behind? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth and we thank you for your word. God, I ask that 
Father, each one of us would examine our hearts, examine our motivation. Father, so many of us spend so much time building our kingdoms, spend so much time building uh, our glory, worried about what the world thinks and the applause of men. Father, it's just all wood, hay, and, and straw. Father, let us seek your heart. Let us seek your passion. Let us seek your will and your way. God, there's somebody in here this morning that thinks it's too late for them. They think they're too old or they think their time has passed. They think they've done stuff in their past that has disqualified them. Father, I want them to hear your voice today say it's never too late. Father, some here this morning that are struggling with sin, they've they've compromised and they've allowed little things, rationalizing it out. And Father, this morning, they, they need to understand that they can walk away from that. Father, help us to get out of our comfort zone, to be obedient, to trust in you, to stand on your promises. God, you're not looking for spiritual giants. You're not looking for for super Christians. You're just looking for people willing to be available because that's who you move in. And God, this room is full of available people. God, the world is yet to see what you could do through one believer willing to believe, willing to trust, willing to have faith change a school, change a college, change a workplace, change a neighborhood, change a city, change a nation. Father, let us say yes to you. Like Nehemiah this morning, let our cry be remember. God, there's so much in our lives I I don't want God to remember. So much in our lives that that I don't want even God to, to think about. But God, I want from here on out to be able to say, remember me, God. Remember me. Your name we pray. Amen. We're going to close by singing Amazing Love, You Are My King. I, I want you to sing that to Him this morning. I want you to ask God, what will you leave behind? Let Him shine His searchlight into your heart. What is your legacy right now? What's your legacy to your kids, to your community, to those that work around you? What are you showing them? Let's make a commitment today that it starts new. Just stand and worship with us.